0: There are some people that you can sit down with to shoot the shit about sports or funny memories, but who can also discuss more vulnerable topics, like grief and the mysteries of life. My friend and fellow copywriter, Ben Ward, is one of those special people. We talk about moving from Connecticut to Kansas and the special role that sports had in shaping Ben's path. My name is Jeff Ullery, and this is Journey to Ad, do you listen to podcasts at all? Do you have any that you kind of have as a, a go-to?
1: As far as sports go, I mean, I'm a big Eagles guy, as you know. So Birds with Friends is the Eagles podcast that I listen to uh, quite a bit. I'm also a big Lebitard fan. And my favorite thing about Lebitard is, like, I don't love sports radio in, in terms of, like, the reaction theater and the Monday morning quarterback type stuff. But I love that their show is this big, like, inside joke. And so if you kind of follow the, the merry band of pirates as they like to – uh, refer to themselves as like you just kind of are ingratiated into this like world that they create. And it's, you know, just kind of a spoof on a sports radio show. So I like that. We actually did some work on the moth for Jesse's class. Oh yeah. So I don't know if you've gotten into that at all, but the moth is pretty cool, man. It's like really raw and honest.
0: I've listened, or I think I listened to the moth. maybe like four or five years ago, I listened to a few episodes. It was kind of right when I was out of undergrad and I was in the throes of missing creative things. And someone was like, oh, yeah, you should listen to The Moth. It's like really cool storytelling. But I completely forgot about The Moth.
1: It's rad. I would, I would encourage you to just, you know, here or there, just take a, take a listen. I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty raw and emotional. So, you know, it's not exactly easy listening. But at the same time, it kind of is because it's like people being so candid with, you know, really, really private things. Um,
0: kind of cutting through all the bullshit and just being open and honest about stuff yeah,
1: it's super fascinating so how it works is like it's an open mic type situation that they ended up just recording for the most part um, but you go up there with like a story no script no nothing so a lot of the people that have done it like will do it repeatedly it's almost like like a riff on like poetry slams um, but yeah completely unfiltered in terms of content in terms of you know it's talking about loss and regret and insecurities, love, all kinds of things. It's, it's nuts.
0: Damn. Yeah, no, I will, I will have to check that out. So, so one of my inspirations for this podcast was the uh, WTF podcast with Mark Marin and okay. also a one, good one, yeah, it is cool. and And I've enjoyed it because it is very like real interviews and it's cool to understand kind of the celebrities in a maybe more personal light. But lately, over or, or earlier this, or I guess last year now, Mark Mer and his significant other passed away suddenly, and so mm-hmm. a lot of the episodes since then have been a lot more raw in talking about like loss and grief, and that's been really interesting one, to just hear celebrities talk about that because that's such a, a non-celebrity thing to talk about. It's so human and raw. But then also, that I feel like those are topics that are kind of taboo or stuff that you wouldn't hear people talk about as much. So I feel like there's something really valuable in kind of having those conversations and hearing those, I guess, heavier, raw stories
1: But then there's also
0: value too in some of the more lighthearted stuff.
1: (laughs) Sure. I mean, you know, the honesty is really cool though. And I'll have to check that out because that's, that's really fascinating. But that was like one thing that like I stress to people in my own experience with, you know, like a little anxiety or depression here or there or going to therapy for the first time. When I did, I was, I think 24, 25, maybe but you do have all of those sort of taboos associated with them. I'm like, you know, what does it say about me that I'm going to therapy? You know, like not, not, you don't, you don't feel like Tony Soprano in a way, but you're like, what are people going to say if they know? And sort of the first real big realizations that I had was that it's like, this is totally okay. Like feel what you're feeling. Um, It's okay to talk about this stuff. It's okay to be vulnerable to let your guard down because the more readily you do that, you know, the more you sort of are more in tune with what you're feeling and accept that, you know, it's okay to be sad. I mean, you don't want to be sad, of course, but you can't, you know, pile onto that mountain um, and attribute a lot of negative things to these quote unquote negative emotions that you feel. Uh, It's only going to kind of send you further down that spiral. So I think you're right. Like the first step kind of is just talking about it and being cool with it.
0: Yeah. Well, that was heavier than I expected to start, but It's all right. Everything is light and levity. You know what I mean? That's true. You know, we're going to be real here. So let's, let's be real and let's, let's go back to the beginning. So Ben, where, where are you from?
1: I grew up in a little town on the East coast called Simsbury, uh, right in the middle of Connecticut. For people that are in the Midwest, like you'd probably call Simsbury a suburb based on urban demographic, but it, how the old school New England towns work. It's more like a, it's what we call a cottage town because they were essentially suburbs that existed before cities were these big urban hubs. So instead of building outwards from say a Kansas city, a St. Louis, these towns just sort of functioned on their own before these big capitals, say Hartford, Boston, whatever existed um, in the way that we know, you know, cities now. So I grew up there almost kind of in the sticks. It's like a little outdoor kind of haven cute little stuff a lot of history yeah, I was a good little new england boy
0: <laughs> <laughs> does it have that sort of small town charm that a lot of people kind of talk about when they talk about the midwest like is it kind of like it takes a village to raise a a, a kid sort of thing or is it a, a different vibe on the east coast
1: It's not quite that it takes a village, I would say, but it does have this very quaint, charming appeal to it. So I just looked it up. It was founded in 1670. It was incorporated in 1670. So it's an old place. So it has a lot of those charms, like, you know, the old churches, the old buildings, you know, the institutions that have been there just forever and ever and ever. But, yeah, I mean, and in that sense, it was a town where by the time we were in high school, like, you know, you knew everybody, kids we grew up with who's, you know, parents were on the police force or worked at the school or, you know, if you, if you were a troublemaker, let's say that, that, that got around pretty quick.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. What sorts of things were you interested in as a kid? From, from day one sports, both like my, both my parents, my
1: mom's father was big into baseball. So grew up taking me to Fenway park from a young age. But my dad always, you know, loved sports and so did his father who unfortunately passed away before I was able to really get to know him. But yeah, I mean, grew up, you know, riding my bike, staying out way too late, getting the clothes dirty, playing baseball with the neighborhood kids, playing street hockey. Yeah, I mean, I was outside all the time. Like the summer was just, you know, I mean, it's, it's different now. I look back and I'm probably sound like an old fart, but it was just different when you didn't have, you know, I didn't even have a Nintendo growing up. So just riding my bike to wherever I could play the next game. Swimming. By the time I got older, I got into hiking. Uh it's different obviously from it is out here in Denver, but we used to hike a good deal after school, wander through the woods, get into a little bit of trouble. Not too much. Just a healthy amount.
0: Some of that wholesome trouble, a little leave it to beaver action. (laughs) That's right. So you, you mentioned the Eagles and then I guess were you a Red Sox fan going to games at Fenway?
1: Yeah, so I got into football last, so that's kind of like the weird outlier for my sports fanhood is the uh, is the NFL. But my grandpa, Grandpa Al, took me um, to Fenway quite a bit. My mom's a Sox fan. They both went to UConn, so um, college hoops were kind of a, a presence in the household, which makes its way into my life later. But, um, yeah, I grew up doing that. My good buddy back when I was a kid, Tyler Waterman, uh, him and I, he had this great little hockey setup. Um, in his basement, so we would play like one-on-ones. We always pretend we were the Boston Bruins. Get up and see some Bruins games here or there. So love the Bruins, love the Celtics, uh, love the Red Sox, and never liked the Patriots. And what a bad mistake that turned out to <laughs> be, I guess. Right? Like hated the Patriots, chose the Eagles out of nowhere, and You all missed of a sudden,
0: the dynasty.
1: Yeah, missed how many titles? Six, like seven Six times, time, of them, six? yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was a good choice, good healthy choice. <laughs>
0: but I guess at the very least you have the the Nick Foles miracle you got to see the the Eagles win win that matchup
1: that game was unreal that was a high wire act I was impossible to be around that day it was you know <laughs> we one of my best friends is a big big Pats fan he's from Seaconk Mass and we were initially playing we always you know do sports stuff together but it was like you stay over and on your, on your end of the, the world in your house, I'm going to stay in the end of mine. I had a party, made all this food, didn't eat any of it. I was just a nervous wreck the whole time. So it's as, as great as the result was, it was and as great as the game was, it was, I had no fun that day. It was.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine that being very nerve wracking. Wow. Well, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, I, I know we've talked about this before, but I grew up, my first football memories were the, uh, the greatest show on turf growing up in St. Louis. And so I saw the, uh, the inception of Tom Brady. And I think this, this past year was the first year where I was like, all right, I think I can get behind Tom Brady if he wins this Super Bowl," And it was more so for history's sake than like for his sake, but yeah, the, the darn Patriots, man. <laughs> well, we talked
1: about this off air as well. I, Bet against Tom Brady uh, this Super Bowl, and that cost me, of course. And you saying to me, you say, "Who who bets against Tom Brady?" And that's an accurate accurate point. Let me ask you though, real quick: do you, yeah. Did you have you followed the Rams to L.A. or have you just said the hell with Cronky?
0: I I feel spurned like many St. Louisans do by both Cronky and the NFL. So I I kept up a little bit with a few of like the players that the Rams had drafted when they were in St. Louis and when they were still with Los Angeles. but for the most part I have written them off and I don't really affiliate myself with a football team at this point.
1: It's probably for the best man. it's, it's so <laughs> it's so unhealthy. we do it anyway.
0: And it's gotten to the point too, where now living in Denver, I can't even root for any of the cronky teams, even if it's not like him directly, if it's his like, you know, management system or his son or something. So I, I have no love for the the Colorado Avalanche, or I think he owns part of the Rapids and the Nuggets. Like, can't get behind them. <laughs> I don't blame you, but you know, sports grudges they're they're a real thing.
1: They're real, and that's why I say it's unhealthy. The sooner, the sooner we can stop rooting for laundry, the better.
0: Definitely. Well, sports obviously were a huge part of kind of your life growing up. And so that was, was sports always something that you knew you kind of wanted to include as part of your career?
1: Yeah, at least at the onset. So, you know, we kind of alluded to it earlier, I should say, but that was going to be a factor in, you know, where I went to school and what I wanted to do. My dreams of Becoming Nomar Garcia-Para kind of stopped once I stopped growing at about 5'8". Also, that made my basketball career a little limiting because um, it's hard to be a 5'8 power forward without a ton of Steph Curry range. <laughs> but I always love to write, uh, as I know you kind of have. It's that creative thing that always kind of propelled me in school. It was something that I was really interested in, both writing and reading. I showed an aptitude towards it, and it made like you know showing up for certain classes suck a lot less.
0: When did you yeah. discover that? your kind of love for reading and writing? I want to say probably like, if
1: it wasn't, I mean, I I always read, you know, as a kid, um, my dad passed down like the Tolkien books and, you know, I read some of the science fiction he was into. But once I was into some really like cool American lit classes, maybe freshman year of high school, you know, you pick up like the Great Gatsby for the first time or you read Slaughterhouse-Five and you're like, holy shit, like, what is this? You know, I think that to me was, it was more than like these classes or just these like things that you know, like it's not just like passing down relics. These things have some merit and some value. So yeah, I I dove into books and I love to read, and somehow like writing papers wasn't a a total chore. So yeah, it all it, then it was like, all right, well, how can I make this love of sports thing happen? So it ended up being journalism. So which takes me to um, University of Kansas, go Jayhawks! Or that, that's where I did my undergrad. You know, I slacked off more than more than my share for sure, but uh, you know, kind of found my my groove and my way to the, the student paper and covered some cool stuff there. And it was really like, wow, holy shit, I can, you know, sit courtside and write about sports and immerse myself in, in sports and I get paid for it. Well, that's, you know, that, that's something. I'm sure that felt
0: like a dream at the time.
1: Absolutely. I mean, especially when you're a college kid and you get to, you get, you're getting paid to travel with the student newspaper credit card to all these big 12 cities and you're going out with your, your buddies after the games and I mean, again, you're sitting right on the court, you're in the locker room, you're interviewing players and all, you know, all of which you're, you know, you get to produce these awesome stories, of course, it's the journalism. So there's, you know, the, the multitude of layers to it, but yeah, holy cow. Like they're, they're letting me do this and they're giving me money too. Unreal.
0: What was it like for you going from Connecticut to Lawrence, Kansas? Had you spent significant time outside of where you grew up at that point? Almost
1: none. Uh, traveled a lot um, around like New England, the regular family vacations to various places, Florida, California. Uh, we used to go down Jersey Shore before it was the Jersey Shore as we <laughs> all know it now. Yeah, You know, go to DC, stuff like that, but never really. And you know, it was one of those, it was a weird thing. I always got that question because so many of my graduating class went to either small schools in the surrounding area, or they went to Yukon or they ended up wound up eventually transferring to Yukon. So there was a few of us who went to what you'd call like obscure schools for, you know, kids growing up in Connecticut. We had a girl get into into Kentucky and she went to Kentucky. Uh, My good buddy, Andrew, shout out the Jolly Green Giant. If you're listening my guy, he went to Louisville and, you know, there were some others, but you know, I went to Kansas and people would say, why Kansas? What's in Kansas? And my answer would always just be like, I don't know, but I know what's here. So if, if I don't like it, home is home, right? Like why not just kind of take a chance, try something new. So I guess I kind of got that wild hair showed up and I don't think I ever looked back. I don't think there was ever a moment absent, maybe like one of the first nights in the dorm where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I took it and ran with it. I I love Lawrence. That's Lawrence's, home to me is as much as Connecticut is at this point. There's, there was no looking back.
0: Being familiar with college basketball, you're familiar with the Kansas Jayhawks beforehand. Do you ever have any sort of difficulty with like balancing out like UConn and Kansas and, and any other kind of team affiliations?
1: No, no, because UConn is more like the familial stuff. You know, so I remember a lot of the, like the titles, I think, you know, I think their first one, what was they beat Duke. I think that was the Rip Hamilton team. Uh, they had the Ben Gordon and Mecca Okafor teams. I love women's hoops. Growing up, I'd like shit. I, I remember I was, I had to have been like eight years old, and Nakisha Sales and Carol Walters came to our summer camp and we met them. And Carol Walters had to be like, I don't know, for for a woman, she's incredibly tall, so she's you know maybe pushing seven feet, and I look, I'm looking up, and I'm probably at her knees. But no, I mean once once I got to to KU and you go to your first. Jayhawk basketball game. I mean, the fandom is, is ravenous. There's, there's, there's nothing like it, and there's no looking back. Granted, now you're talking about sports affiliation and fandoms. I do have some qualms about my relationship with Kansas football because when I got there, we were incredible, and now <laughs> we are the absolute punchline. So I have some qualms there. But uh, <laughs> Fair no, enough. As, far as, as far as like the UConn stuff, no, nah, it, it was it was KU from the second I stepped on campus I, Absolutely.
0: I know for me, I grew up, my mom went to St. Louis university or SLU as most people. I know love it SLU. Yeah. And so I, I grew up going to games, which were at one point at the Savas center and now they have their own Chaffetz arena. And I remember when I went to Xavier university, Xavier is obviously a big basketball school and my freshman year, Xavier and Slew were still in the A-10 together and SLU came in to, to the Cintas center and they were ranked. And I was like, I don't feel bad about this matchup. Like I want Xavier to win. And I think like, it was kind of one of those things where I will root for the like familial team, like as like support for the family but in terms of like who I actually want to win, it was very clearly Xavier.
1: Yeah. Your heart just gets taken over. It's yeah. It's those memories, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you come, if you ever makes it back to the tournament, yeah, I'll, I'll pull for him for, for the family and whatnot. Of course. I mean, the women's team is unbelievable still just unprecedented. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's like my grandfather's one a, so that's, you know, every time we get on the phone, that's what we talk about is how he can get his Yukon's women's fix down in Florida. <laughs> so
0: we talk about that. That's awesome. So let's talk about journalism for a little bit. So sure. how creative is sports journalism? How much freedom did you feel like you had to kind of write and create stuff?
1: The practice of journalism, of course, has its, its parameters. You know, the, the ethical guidelines, the importance of truth telling balanced against storytelling. I mean, you got to make stuff interesting, of course, but it's news, it's information. But I would say, you know, especially if you're working like a, like a beat of any kind, or, you know, a lot of what I did at the onset of my career, you know, once I got out of college was, was preps or high school stuff. And that is like super freeing because, you know, I don't want to inflate my role in it all, but, you're kind of a big shot in the sense that when you step on like you know if you're if you're at a pro game or you're at a college game you're one of you know 30 50 100 media members when you're the local you know city paper at a high school basketball game on a friday night you know that's a big deal for these kids for their parents um for these you're the press exactly so in that sense it's it's really cool because you get this unparalleled access, you get to know a lot of these people, you get to know a lot of their stories. And that leads to some really cool angles in terms of storytelling. But in addition, I mean, it's super freeing in in the sense that like, if you want to write about a certain thing or you have an eye for, you know, one of these human interest pieces, let's say, you have the freedom to go do it. Now, again, you operate under the constraints of you work for a daily. You do have to report the news if stuff happens on campus. Let's say I'm covering Kansas, for example. You know, something happens with a player or the NCAA. Da 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 da. You know, you report it. It's a pretty straight lead, news graph, nuts, nuts bolts, all the things. But as far as like the the human interest side, I mean, yeah, there's a ton of leeway to to craft and to tell, to build relationships, to meet people. And that's like, that's where some of my favorite work uh, has been done, not just by me, which is again, uh, you know, I don't want to conflate what I've done, but uh, you know, a lot of my buddies who are still in the field. And then a lot of the people that I admire just growing up, you know, reading sports journalism are some of the best pieces you've ever written, you, go, you know, you look at it and go how, but the how is just putting your ear to the ground and kind of paying attention to, you know, what's happening. So yeah, the, the freedom, I mean, it's, it's, it's not full, full form freedom, but given the parameters, there's a ton to, ton to work with.
0: Was there a particular either like sports journalist or story that really kind of like inspired you or that sticks with you that is kind of that prime example of like great storytelling, like great like human interest and, and making it more than just like the, the score of sports?
1: I think Wright Thompson specifically was just great in terms of the, the depth of the world that he could build. Uh, his Michael Jordan piece is fantastic to this day. I mean, there's all the guys. I mean, you know, like the, the Mitch albums. And locally in Kansas City for quite a while, it was Jason Whitlock before he kind of became what he is now, which is something lesser than the Kansas City Star columnist, who was like this really promising up-and-coming writer. You know, I mentioned Lebetsard earlier, but Lebetard had this great piece on Jason Taylor after Jason Taylor retired, and it was talking about the struggles that he had physically and some of the things that he battled to get his body in the in the place where, you know, getting hit by a train every day at work was was something. I think we watch football and we don't understand, but that really painted it in that way. But I, uh, you know, you grew up with, and I'm sure you did too. You grew up with like Sports Illustrateds and you're just reading all these things and you're. You, you, The more you can learn. I grew up with with Slam Magazine. I don't know if you know what Slam Magazine is, but it's like this basketball piece. Like, I I loved reading all that stuff. And you read about these kids coming up through tough situations, getting to college, you know, sports really being an outlet for them. And in a way, I think that that's kind of why I gravitated towards it, because it was this cool outlet. And it's this thing that when we're all in it, we can all kind of share it together, regardless of, you know, where we come from.
0: Whether it's professionally or personally, Ben is someone who knows how to tell a story and also knows how powerful the written word can be and how it affects someone, whether that's in sports, advertising, or anything. Let's take a brief intermission before we return to the second period with Ben Ward. And we'd like to welcome you back for this final round action on Championship Sunday. It's been a remarkable day so far, where two of our competitors have really separated themselves from the rest of the field. I am, of course, talking about the favorite going into today, Ben Oberweisen, and the young challenger, Jerry Graderson. After matching each other scoop for scoop, they find themselves in a sudden-death playoff. Now, this playoff will be played under traditional Sunday rules. Both contestants will be allowed three scoops, up to two toppings, and a garnish of their choice. A reminder that whipped cream and cherry do not count against either. Let's go down to our field reporter, Derry Spotter, for the call.
2: And first to play is the returning champion, Ben Oberweisen. He's not wasting any time and has selected a warm, fudgy brownie to start things off. Next, he has his scoop and he's... Going to the vanilla, he lines it up and oh, that's a lovely roll there, such a pure stroke. What's this? He's going in for a second, two perfect scoops, and then, well, folks, you you rarely see this, but count them three perfect scoops of vanilla. and really seems to be honing in on a classic, and let's see, yes, yes, as you would expect, he is going for the hot fudge. He's getting ready and. It looks like he's burned himself on the fudge. Oh, he's in pain after that one. Will he be able to continue? The judges are coming over, but... Oh, he's he's waving them off. Such a staunch professional, but you have to wonder if this injury will affect his finish. He's ready again, with the fudge, and ever so carefully draping it over his perfect scoops of ice cream. This is textbook work, and he... Oh no! His nerves or his injury caught up to him as he has left the fudge uneven to one side of the bowl. And you can tell he's disappointed after that. It's not a bad miss, but a miss all the same. And he's left a window here for Jerry Gratison to scoop in and win this.
0: If you know Ben, you know we got to talk about food. We pick back up with his story and discuss his perspective on the creativity in food and the service industry before eventually turning to advertising. But first, Ben shares his thoughts on sports during a pandemic. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the role of and the importance of sports during this past year, because... And obviously you're no expert. I'm just curious because we, we've we talked about sports a bunch because obviously with the, the pandemic going on, people have been searching for things to cling to for a sense of normalcy. But I think there's also the argument that, you know, sports can kind of overshadow some of the other stuff and kind of take away the sense of, you know, like there is stuff that it's kind of, you know, wrong with the world in terms of the the, the health of people, the, the issues of race that have, you know, come up time and time again, um, especially in the past year, but still like people like having those kind of stories and those distractions to cling to. So what's kind of your reaction to the place of sports and everything in this past year?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. Certainly. And there's a lot of levels to it. I talked to the, with a good buddy of mine kind of at length about this a few months ago. I think it's tricky. I think it's complicated because I do think sports serve an inter- important function in our society as far as, you know, this, this thing, this distraction, but also like this, it's a big cultural beacon. It's things that, that draw people. And that's separate from all the financial stuff, but that's also where I'm torn during the pandemic because we, You know, these players do have a right to choose whether to play, whether to opt out, whether to do all these things. And revenue does drive all these decisions at the end of the day for these big mega corporations. But where I'm torn then is because if we're deeming them essential workers, yet fans can't go to games, which I'm completely in favor of, how many of the people behind the scenes that make sports go, they are essential in that way. And they also were out of a job. So you look at the people who are working concession stands or janitorial staffs or merchandising, retail, facilities, operations, you name it. Like all these places where there are hundreds of thousands of people who make the, make the wheel turn that didn't have work as a result. I just think that's an important factor to consider it all. You know, where we just sometimes look at the, the product on the field. And again, to your point, the distraction, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We look at the product on the field as the be-all, end-all. Um, I don't think we all the time are fully appreciative of, you know, just how many people it takes to make a league like the NFL, say, you know, kind of hum. And by the same token, you know, the judgments that we pass, you know, on these people that opt out for the sake of themselves, their health, their family, whatever. I don't think that's right at all. You know, and, and the argument that never holds water to me is like, well, you make X amount of money. So you should shut up and play or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, no, man, just cause you know, these, this is the the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, like LeBron has earned the right to say, whatever the hell he wants whenever the hell he wants it as it pertains to these things you know his his status or his financial situation has no merit on the fact that he wants to play or doesn't it just that's that's just kind of part of the hornet's nest i guess to your point like it's it's a lot more yeah. than just the game and if we're able to look at it holistically and say that you know those things are factors and why we're watching or why we're not then i think that we're in a good place it's again it's just all consideration
0: well, I don't think it's a spoiler alert to say that you did not end up in sports journalism because obviously the two of us are talking. So what, what kind of happened that you kind of closed the book as it were on sports journalism? And I know there's there's a step along the way before getting to Denver Ad School. So kind of take me through that kind of tran- period of transition. Yeah,
1: so I had a, a, a gig um, at the Topeka Capital Journal in Topeka, Kansas, covering a, a litany of things for that sports staff. Fantastic sports editor at the time, man by the name of Tim Beisel. I love that dude. That dude would go, he would run through a brick wall for you to borrow a, a boring sports cliche. But that dude, literally, uh, a buddy, a group of buddies of mine and I, who've all worked for Tim in some capacity, I'll call him the great man because he's just, he's that dude. I mean, he will, he will throw fists if it came down to it in an alley with you. (laughs) But at the time I was in a long distance relationship with an ex um, that was living here in Denver, where we had moved after we graduated from KU and the long distance thing was just tearing us apart, frankly. So I was up for a promotion, which was open both internally and externally. And it came down to me and one other, one other guy, Uh, he ended up getting it over me. And I had made an agreement with my ex at the time that uh, if I didn't get it, I would move back to Denver. But if I did, she's a preschool teacher that she would move back to Kansas city. So it just kind of shook out. I I made the choice full well knowing that that could be the end of, you know, it wasn't a conscious, like I want to leave journalism thing, but I made that choice for the sake of our relationship full well knowing that could be the end of my journalism career. Uh, lo and behold, it was spoiler alert. The relationship did not work out. However, <laughs> she remains, she remains a really good friend. So I want to you know, stress positivity there, but uh, you know, I've told you this in the past. I know we've, we've talked about that briefly, but you know, it's just a choice that I would make the same every time, even knowing how it worked out. I think I would still make it.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. I think there are those life choices that are going to outweigh any sort of like career thing. And I think you can ask what if, but at the end of the day, it's, I think that's like the choice that I would make too.
1: And, but but you, you, I mean, you're, you're so right. It's life happens, jobs get in the way.
0: So you found yourself in Denver then. Did you have an idea of what you were going to do when you, when you got here? No, <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> uh, I didn't. I've long kind of been like a journeyman in the sense of uh, in my employment history, uh, absent the journalism stuff. I've, I've had a ton of odd jobs growing up through college uh, pretty much worked since I was 15, doing whatever. And it just so happened that I found myself into food. I always have loved food. My dad had some industry experience uh, before he uh, finished up uh, his secondary education. But food's always been a big part of our family and our household. And I just kind of, I, I gravitated towards it. And all of a sudden, I was years deep in the game before I kind of knew what was happening.
0: What did that look like for you? Were you working in restaurants? where you are pursuing like a formal kind of like chef education? Like what, what exactly does that look like?
1: You know, nothing formal. It was kind of just me, you know, off and running, working in restaurants. So I started back a house cooking. I taught myself to cook in college. I always kind of got asked like, you know, how do you get, get your start cooking or why? Because mm-hmm. I was broke and I like to eat. So uh, <laughs> it was kind of, you know, figure it out type thing. Yeah. So yeah, I started off cooking and kind of immersing myself in that and moving up gradually and gradually and gradually. And I found myself in a spot where I was running a kitchen and parts of it were fulfilling. And there was a time when I looked at sort of my trajectory and was like, okay, so I'm going to keep on kind of doing this thing. And the stress, the wear, the tear, it just really got to me. I was just not happy. I was not healthy. I was not sleeping. It would take everything that I had to get to the gym or go on a run after a shift. Cause I was pulling sometimes, you know, 13, 14 hour days, Jeez, just, you know, not in a good place. Uh, so I just shut it down and I didn't know what was going to happen after that.
0: Man. With journalism, we talked about, you know, there is a sense of storytelling. There is kind of finding that those nuggets of truth and, and building out that sort of creative story for people did you find creativity in working in restaurants and in like cooking in, in that sort of food world?
1: I think yes and no. So you, you of course, are, are privy to, to more details that I imagine our listeners will end up getting to. But So I work in food now part-time uh, mm-hmm. while I'm in dad and I'm in a better place with my relationship with how I prepare it and, and the why. So the, the balance is a lot better. I still believe in food. Uh, it's a super big passion of mine. It's one of those things as we talk about sport that I believe is even uh, a bigger connector between people and differences because there's nothing like sharing a meal with someone or in the role of food service, for example, showing someone a great time via a great meal, whether you're preparing it, whether you're serving it, I've done both. Um, you're curating an experience for these people. And that's what they're there for. It's why I love dining out. It's why I love, you know, different cuisines, different cultures. Cause you just never know. So I think that there is some creativity to it, but I think where I kind of got at the end of my string, especially as it became, you know, bartending, serving, the grind was just kind of the grind and the money was good. So it became golden handcuffs again. Mm -hmm. And that's where it kind of lost a little bit of the shine. And I, I know I wasn't doing it for the right reasons anymore, at least at that point. And I I know that it reflected in my attitude, you know, you'd have good days or good moments or whatever, but I definitely was burnt out and was jaded as a result. And, you know, that's something I look back on and say, you know, that's not a great reflection of, of, you know, me at the time for sure.
0: So inserting yourself kind of in this situation where I guess, were you kind of looking for what that next step in your journey was?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, like you're serving, for example, and, you know, I'd find myself like daydreaming as I'm rolling silverware, you know, doing side work during a shift. And then you kind of like come to, and you're like looking down and you see like a, these, this, this bin of, you know, spoon knife fork that you're rolling up into napkins. And you're like, what the hell am I doing? Like, yeah. You know, cause you talk about the creativity or the meeting people. And I met a ton of people and a lot of great friends. And I still have people in the industry that I love and I love the service industry. I still do. But you look and you're like, this, I'm, this is how I'm spending my time. Like, what are you doing, man? And you, you know, I look back and it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to get back into sports journalism or whatever it was, but it's like, you know, the mind wandering is, is that sign that you're like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta make moves. I gotta, I gotta figure something out. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta
0: do something. Sure. Sure. So how did advertising enter the picture for you?
1: There's a lot of a push from a great friend of mine, uh, Tom Powers, who is an accounts at uh, Goodby Silverstein and Partners, but he's one of my best friends. And uh, his whole family pretty much is in advertising. His dad, his aunt, uh, and he's family. I mean, they're all family to me. But he had been pushing me for years because we lived together in school and he had started on the journalism track and ended up getting his MBA and you know doing that thing. And he'd be like, you know, Benny, you got to you got to get in the room with me, man. Like we could create, we can make some cool stuff. Like two of us, like it's unstoppable. So that was like the pitch for a while from him. And it was something that was kind of like bubbling and, you know, on the back burner for quite a while. And then once I really kind of put my head down and was like, okay, let me look at this. Let me look at the whole portfolio school thing. You know, it must've been right after dad's inception, honestly, you know? And so I'm like, okay, there's this portfolio school and it's here in Denver, the the stars are kind of aligning in that way, you know, and cruised down and met Heather and she gave me a a run of the building and this is what we do. This is what we're all about kind of thing. And so, you know, that was, that was the beginnings for sure.
0: Now, having gone through three whole quarters of the program, you're in your fourth quarter right now, as we're talking, what's it been like for you? Has it felt natural? Has it been kind of learning a a different way of thinking? Is there anything from your experiences cooking and in sports journalism that has kind of helped you along the way? I know I threw a lot at you there. So just respond to, to whatever resonates and works for you. It's funny because
1: I don't know if you felt this way as well. Like you got like, I think first quarter you kind of feeling yourself a little bit, right? You're you're like, this is cool. I get this. I can, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer. I can write.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then as 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 some of like the initial ideating steps kind of came along, and you, you're thinking that you have these good ideas, you realize that some of them just really suck. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. You know, that. I mean, I mean, I look back on like some of the concepting sessions even from you know like quarter two, let's say, and I'm like, what was I doing? Like, this is just, it's not there, right? But I think. If you're asking about like the lessons that, that I've taken and how it's kind of helped me grow is that it's okay for an idea to suck. It's okay for an idea to not work. The next one's gonna be better, hopefully. Maybe it's not, but you're gonna find something. So it's the same thing in cooking. It's like, not every dish you make is gonna be perfect. You're gonna burn some stuff. You're gonna screw some stuff up. But hopefully you're gonna get to a place where something just needs a pinch of salt or a little bit of acid.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause you know what you're doing. So, you know, we, we get stressed a lot, you know, the reps, the repetition, the at-bats, that's all it is. And again, that's not to say anything that I've made to this point is, is perfect or incredible, but you start feeling better about the process. You start feeling better about the results and you just kind of go from there. You can't be, you can't be scared to suck. Cause if you're scared to suck, then you're never going to do, you know, you're never going to want to do it. You're never going to, you know, like journalism, you're never going to want to stare at your blank document on your computer screen and go, okay, time to write 800 words here by 10 o'clock. You know, that was my old deadline. And that's, it's, it's the same as this. It's like, all right, you know, there's a page and you got to fill it. And it's only you and your ideas and your partner. And, you know, that's the only thing that's going to get you through. So it's, it's the trust, but it's also just the inevitability that, you know, shit's going to go sideways and that's all right.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've discovered about advertising and copywriting that has maybe made that a little easier, a little less intimidating for me is that there's not as much of a blank page per se, because there's always some sort of brief or some sort of problem to solve. So it's not just like that, just blind creativity. And I think the the other thing too is the fact that so much of advertising is collaborative. So even if it, you know, kind of does have that, there's that fear with creativity in that sense, that you need to be vulnerable with the other person, but you're also never completely alone in it either. So I think for me, that's been something that I've discovered through this program and that really makes it feel a little easier. It's always going to be some of that vulner- vulnerability and fear but i feel like it's easier like does does that resonate with you too
1: oh absolutely and it's you know i mean you think back to like when we met for example and you know it's myself andrew chris and imani wander in and you know it's you gunner shanties and and maddie and the the quickness with which you have to just say like okay this is kind of how i work how do you work what do you like to do yeah and then it's oh nice to meet you oh yeah jeff yeah okay you went to school at xavier right Like the the quickness with which you just have to be good with like we think differently maybe about some things whatever but the goals are going to be the same and let's mm-hmm. get there together so i think that the relationships that you're able to forge in a, in a short amount of time i think do make that process less daunting for sure to your point yeah
0: in addition to being a talented writer, Ben is a stand-up guy who cares about his partners and is great to chop up ideas with. And as I said before, he's also just a great guy to chat with about anything, even when he's hitting you with a grueling set of rapid-fire questions, like he does with me in this edition of Ask the Host.
1: I might have to hit you with like the the, the rapid fire, man. So we used to when we used to stodge people at restaurants which is a working interview, uh, just a French word for it. Mm -hmm. I I don't imagine it's all that dissimilar from what we hear about the advertising world in the sense that like, yeah, your work is going to get you in the door, but if they don't like who you are and you're not a good fit or it's not a good fit for you or whatever, um, you're not going to get the position. So we used to just, I used to hit people with all sorts of oddball questions um, off the cuff because you know, we were a a rowdy crew, but a fun crew. um, And we needed people who could you know, meld seamlessly into that.
0: So uh, you're trying to train wreck me before anyone learns about my personality is what I'm hearing.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's a quick, it's a, like, you know, I'd be like, all right, Jeff, what's the last movie that made you cry?
0: Uh, Coco.
1: That's a good one. Pixar I, gets me, man.
0: Pixar is so good. And uh, if there's, if there's stuff with, with death or like losing family as part of it, it, it gets me. I still get emotional when I watch the lion King too. The whole, you know, Mufasa dying spoiler alert. Um, oh, but yeah. you know, it's been out for you know, 30 <laughs> years. So, you know, at this point, it's your problem if you, if that's a spoiler, but yeah, Coco is the most recent one, I think.
1: Oh man. There's yeah. Disney, uh, Disney just, it, it, it gets me. Mm-hmm. All right, that resonates. See, that's a good, that's a good first answer. You know, I don't, don't, the, 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 don't cry. I don't, I don't trust people who don't cry at movies. How many states have you visited in the continental or otherwise U.S.? Do you, do you
0: know offhand? I don't know the exact number. I think I'm at like 20 or 25. I want to say. I haven't been to a lot of the New England states. You could do that in two days. I know, right? I, <laughs> it wouldn't be that hard. I think if you count just states that I've driven through, then I've probably been to like 30 or so. But it's kind of funny. A friend of mine back home, we discussed what constitutes visiting a state. And we said you either need to eat a meal there or have a shit there. And that's like the minimum for you to have visited a state. So that if that's the criteria then I'm a little lower, but I grew up doing a bunch of family road trips kind of all over the place. And I, I grew up in St. Louis, so we could very easily go either East or West and, and got to explore a bunch of stuff that way. And, and then I was lucky enough to travel a bunch through college from playing ultimate Frisbee and going to tournaments in a bunch of different States. And then also being part of the Xavier pep band and traveling with the, the team for tournament games. And so that was like the first time I went to California. I went to see Xavier play in LA um, in the, in the sweet 16, which was unreal. We ended up losing the game to Arizona, but I remember I woke up in Los Angeles, like the day after we lost flew to Cincinnati And it was like 80 in LA when I took off and it was snowing when I landed in Cincy and I went to my apartment. And then within 30 minutes of getting back to my apartment, I was in a car on my way to Nashville with my ultimate Frisbee team for, for a tournament that next day. So that, that was pretty wild. And I was in what three different time zones in that, that span as well. So I mean,
1: That band stuff, that's, that's adjacent to the, the journalism thing where you're like, you, you letting me be here just to play an instrument? Like, this is nuts.
0: It was freaking fantastic. Like, I, I have uh, been on the floor of uh, Madison Square Garden and the Staples Center, which is unreal and, and definitely memories that I will uh, cling to for, for years to come. I love that.
1: One thing Jeff Ullery does
0: not eat, could not eat, never? Mushrooms. Of any kind? Not a fan of mushrooms. Texture? Texture, but also just the flavor itself. It never has really been uh, something that I'm a fan of. And this is partly due to the fact that my mom doesn't like mushrooms, so mushrooms were never prepared in my house. I have eaten mushrooms in a dish to be polite, But for the most part, as long as I'm not trying to, you know, really make a positive impression, I'm picking them out of whatever dish I'm eating. Fair enough. I bet I can make you some tasty mushrooms though. (laughs) I'm sure you could.
1: Jeff Ollery's last meal.
0: Ooh, Uh, this is funny. Actually, Maddie asked me this as well. I know with her, I went the barbecue route. I'll, I'll go a different route here because, you know, I like a lot of different foods. Let's go with some wild caught fresh salmon. I had, I had a really good salmon dinner up in Seattle a couple of years back, and it was made with like a, some sort of like, like mango or peach, like preserve sauce thing on it. It was really good probably throw in either some like roasted asparagus or green beans or something like that. Probably either some sort of potatoes. Maybe let's go with, we'll go with some classic mashed potatoes and then uh, if it's my last meal, then hopefully I'm enjoying an old fashioned uh, with it too. I like that.
1: Cincinnati Chili, overrated, underrated, properly rated.
0: <laughs> if you're a local, then I'm sure they think it's underrated. I think it's overrated. I have never developed a craving for Cincinnati Chili unless it's like 1 a.m. and I've had a few. And then it's like, all right, I just need something greasy and quick. And so then I've like gone to Skyline but it's it's not chili it doesn't fulfill that quota and trying to sell it as chili is just is just lying i'm with it <laughs> emo's pizza mm.
1: overrated underrated properly rated
0: well of course emo's pizza is a local staple in st louis so i do get the craving for emo's i think for me, it's properly rated. I think for most other people, it is probably overrated. It is a thin uh, cracker bread pizza. I know it's been described as. Uh, for those who want to be more harsh, they describe it as cardboard pizza. But the, uh, the unique tang of Provel cheese, which is a, a made-up St. Louis cheese, and that, that thin crust uh, is, is one of the, the tastes that make me feel like I'm home when I, when I visit St. Louis. So I, I think it's properly rated. I'm with you. I love emo's pizza. No lie.
1: <laughs> and pandemic aside, because it's, it's very difficult, of course, and we're all being responsible. Do you have a favorite watering hole in Denver?
0: Mm. So I've been here a little over a year at this point. And so I don't think I have really that, that favorite spot yet. So you know that being said, to all you uh, breweries and bars out there listening, you know I'm 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 a free agent. You know, feel free to uh, to lure me in. I think I I always love going to different breweries, and that's something that I've enjoyed doing with friends when we've gone on trips and explored different cities. I'd say at this point, probably just because a lot of the dad students have gone there a number of times denver central market has been kind of the the reliable spot both in terms of having a variety of food and they uh, i've had some good old fashions there so that's probably been my my most frequented spot
1: and how excited jeff are you to be finishing up (laughs) and getting a getting a big boy gig
0: um, I'm excited. I'm excited to be earning a paycheck again and you know, not not living that that part of the student life. But at the same time, it's it's kind of that bittersweetness that comes with any period of transition and going from kind of one one thing to another. I've really enjoyed the the people and the relationships that have come up as part of Denver Ad School and i think too it's it's cool because of how freeing it is to create cool stuff and create work in school and not have to deal with a client and i'm sure that's something that i will look back upon even more fondly after being in the industry for a few years so i'm i'm excited for for the finish and to see how all of the work for, for me and my classmates shakes out. Cause I'm, I'm pretty excited about the stuff that we've got in the hopper, but yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't like the, uh, the transitions all the time either. And, and, you know, kind of saying goodbye to one thing, but you know, such is life it's uh, it'll be a, a good next step wherever that step takes me.
1: Well, I think you aced the stage, my friend.
0: <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I, uh, I did my best there. Well, uh, thanks so much for doing this.
1: Yeah, man, it's been a blast. I appreciate you having me. Uh, looking forward to this episode and many others.
0: For now, this marks the end of another episode, but there are more to come. Ben Ward will finish at Denver Ad School after the spring 2021 quarter. I'm Jeff Ulrey. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Ad.